even have an opportunity for question and answer. So that's kind of unique, um, only for the series. But if you have a question, if something comes up, write that down in your engagement sheet and ask the question later. We would love to engage in that way. The intent is to start a conversation, not to finish it, right? We believe God is the one who finishes conversations, but we are allowed to engage and start conversations. So that's what we're trying to do here. Last week, if you were here, um, we talked about this idea of... Uh, uh, resolving conflict, and we walk through Matthew eighteen fifteen. Or Matthew eighteen is in there. That this kind of process for resolving conflict, and it was really powerful. And I wanted to mention that because um, our family groups who are studying the same material we study on Sunday mornings um, kind of broke that apart a little bit, and it ties in with this week's um, theme as well. Um, this idea that. Jesus himself, when he taught his disciples to pray, they said, how should we pray? He said, um, uh, forgive, pray like this, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. And in our group discussion, it really came out, we didn't cover that last week, but it came out in our discussion that, um, that there's sin for everyone. Like, that, that's what that prayer says, is that we've all sinned and that people are going to sin against us. And I thought that was pretty insightful, that that's um, captured even in the Lord's Prayer as a way of, of life, as a believer, as those who are trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we still have that. And so today, with that in mind, I, we, I, there's only one question on your sheet again today. And uh, if you flip on the back side of your engagement sheet, this is the question. Um, what is the unforgivable sin? Right? That's the question we want to wrestle with today. We're going to explain why we're wrestling with that today, um, and particularly on Mother's Day. And then um, I want to read from the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You don't have to turn there right now. Um, but we're going to be reading from Matthew 12, and we'll come back to this later in the service as well. So Matthew 12, verses 31 through 32. Jesus says this, And so I tell you this, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but blaspheming against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Let's pray together that God would impart wisdom to us today. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together in your name, and we do recognize that here we have the freedom to gather, and yet we recognize today we are part of a global gathering of worshipers of you, whether allowed to or not, whether in secret or in public. We are part of a global movement of your redeemed people, and we recognize that today in this church. We recognize that you are sovereign, and, and we belong to you, and that you've called us out of darkness into light and out of sin into salvation. Father God, today as we um, read your word together, as we get eyes on it and listen to it with our ears and let it soak into our minds and soften our hearts, Father, we pray that you would become our teacher, that we would learn from you. Father, it seems like we get tons and tons of the world's wisdom and the world's lies, but today we need truth. We ask that you would speak truth into our hearts and lives today that we might be fully transformed. Um, Lord, for the work that you've done and the power of Jesus' name and his proclamation of good news and the power of the Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise. And yet we wait for you to bring your healing to us. Would you show us the way? We, we give you ourselves in this time that you would instruct us, that you would shape us and form us more into your image and who you created us to be. I pray we would do this um, to your honor, uh, rightly recognizing you, and for our good, and for the good of all those you have around us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we wanted to spend some time, I appreciated that Denise did the announcement on the Baby Bottle Boomerang that's going on, uh, which is um, the way that we can support uh, Relevant Pregnancy Options Center here in Highland. We always do that every year, we're part of that campaign, it runs from Mother's Day through Father's Day, that's how we can remember that. And um, it's just a way to show some love and support. If you don't know about Family Bible Church, one of the missionary organizations we support is Relevant Pregnancy Options Center. We believe that they're missionaries in the Highland, and we support them as such. And so um, every time you support Family Bible Church, you're also supporting Relevant Pregnancy Options Center, um, conviction that we have that that's a, a good and God-honoring work um, that is needed um, in this time.
I want to kind of lay the biblical framework for today, rooting it in um, this idea for all of us that we are blessed to be alive, right? That, that this day we celebrate moms, and we do. And a matter of fact, I looked into the history of Mother's Day, and it's fascinating. If you've not looked into the history of Mother's Day, I would encourage you to spend some time doing it. We live in a time right now where you can find so much information, it's unreal, at the tip of our fingers. It's right there. I'd encourage you to look into that and, and think about what Mother's Day is and is not, what it, what it should be, what it should not be. You know, I'm not going to say what that is, but look into that a little bit. But today I want to say that, man, we feel blessed because of moms, and, and God has blessed the earth because of moms. Like, as a matter of fact, he has done so. And so today I want to spend some time, and maybe you've never considered it from this perspective. And I know if you've been at Family Bible while, you've heard us preach this text, but I want to go to um, Psalm uh, 139 today to talk about this gift of life that we have it's on uh, Psalm 139, and we're going to cover verses 13 through 16. If you want to read this whole psalm, if you want to pray through this whole psalm, I would encourage you to do that sometime. It's a great psalm. It roots us in who God says we are. Um, it's a psalm written by King David, and um, we've actually been reading about the life of King David in my own studies. I've been reading about it um, with a dear friend, and uh, you, it's just amazing to hear him pour his heart out in psalm or in song. And this is one of those psalms that he writes to the Lord. Starting in verse 13, David says this, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, God, right? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You, you can read that passage, and you can just hear the high-mindedness of David's realization of his created nature and sometimes we get really far from that as people. And, and, and um, today I want to talk about this idea of unforgivable, the unforgivable sin because I want to put our, our struggles in this life in context to the truth and the power of the gospel. Here David talks about the fact, you know, that not only did God know David now, but he knew David before he came to be. He knew David I love this passage that says that, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. A few weeks ago, we were talking about um, honoring the Sabbath and, and how that falls in this kind of hinge point in the Ten Commandments. The next commandment is honor your mother and your father. There's something in your created nature that is a gift from God. We should recognize that. And I said to you before, if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this before, but if you, if, if you are like anyone else, you struggle in some way with your family of origin. Why was I born here? Why into this family? And whether that's good or bad, like, man, I'm so blessed. Why am I so blessed? Or it's such a struggle. Why is it such a struggle? But this text forces us to contend with this realistic issue that God sovereignly placed us in our family. Matter of fact, that God sovereignly placed us in our mother's womb. That's what the word says. Not only did he sovereignly place us there, it, you know, there's this idea of intimacy. And if you read before this in the psalm, God is intimately involved in our lives. It's no accident that we're here. If you've hung around me for a while, you know that's one of my pet peeves when people are like, um, I was an accident or I wasn't supposed to be here. That is broken thinking from the world. The God of the universe says, no, I made you. There was a reason, a purpose, an intimate involvement. And David confesses that in this song to the Lord. You know me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We should recognize that and respect that and honor that. And maybe if you're like me, you continue to wrestle with what does that mean then? What was God's purpose in my creation where he formed me? 
But there's a flip side of that today, of course, you know, we're celebrating moms. So the question for a mom is, Lord, why did you give me these children? Why these? Or maybe, if you're not a mom, Lord, why didn't you give me children? Or maybe, why didn't you give me more? Or some of you, less. <laughs> and we have to wrestle with that reality that God chose. He trusted. He knit. He knows. He believes. He's instructing. And I hope, I hope and I pray that we listen to his voice in those times. By the way, we talk about this and sometimes we detach that biology, biology from just being a mom. But you know, like a, an adoptive mom and dad, that child was knit together for a purpose and you're in their life. You choose that relationship. Maybe even right now, you love someone who you did not give birth to, but you love them so much. It's as if they were your own. That's recognizing the glory of God's creation. Or maybe you've had the honor to say to someone who said, I'm an accident. Say, you're not an accident. God intentionally created you for a purpose. We have to let God speak into that part of our lives lest we doubt the truth that this gift is a life, is, this life is a gift from God. And not only do we find this, but we find that he says in 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That God is so intimately involved that he knows all of us, the totality of who we are. And the glory and the preciousness of the gospel is that he knows all of us, and yet he died to save all of us. He fully desires to fully redeem us. In the name of Jesus, we are fully redeemed when I was made in this secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And then listen to the promise. And all the days were written in your book before one of them came to be that God knows what his plans are for you. There's so much good stuff in the Bible that we should be listening to, that we should be living out of. Psalm 139 is a great example of that. So as we, as we think about these things on Mother's Day, I, you know, one of the things that I know about moms is, and, and dads and others, not just moms, but so many um, carry around guilt and shame. And we want to talk about that this morning as well. Like how, why that is not um, uh, ultimately God's purpose or honoring to God in our lives, that we would do that and why that is. We want to talk about that a little bit today as well, and it's applying to all people of God, not just moms, but I just noticed it especially, maybe, you know, because being a parent, like, you just realize you can't do it all right. No matter what you've done, you can't do it all right. I told you I would share a little bit, but where the question came from, what's the unforgivable sin, and this question came from a couple different places this week. Um, one was that we got some material uh, submitted to the church that talked about the um, kind of unforgivable sin or, or unconfessible un, um, uh, sin, and it talked about how um, the issue of abortion comes up in churches, and, and it, or it doesn't come up in churches. And I, I don't do this. I just want you to hear, because I was blown away. I actually went and found the study that was done. It was done by CareNet and LifeWay. I went and did, like, read the actual research because I wanted to know what it said. And I was stunned by the statistics about those who are affected, moms, dads, families who are affected um, by abortion, also though by adoption and birth, of course, we see all three options are happening. But this was actually a study, and the title of the study is kind of telling because it's called Abortion in Church. This is some of the statistics I want to share with you. One is that four in ten women were attending church regularly when they went and had an abortion or, or terminated a pregnancy. I'm sorry, four in ten. Did I say that? Four in ten. Forty percent were, were in worship every week whenever they decided to go and to terminate the pregnancy. Um, most of the women, when asked, what did you expect to experience at church or what did you experience at church, the two things that they said overwhelmingly compared to anything else is condemnation and judgment. That was, that was the fear or that was the experience. 
confessing that they're wrestling with an unplanned pregnancy or, or how to deal with that. Um, six out of ten times, six out of ten, sixty percent of the time, this is all from, from like real people, um, dad is intimately involved in the decision. As a matter of fact, four out of ten say that dad has the most significant input to offer, even more so than medical doctors or parents, that the father of the baby has heavy influence over the decision whether to keep the child or terminate the pregnancy. This was shocking to me. 76% said that church had no influence over their decision. None. Half said that the pastor's teaching on forgiveness, and this is maybe perhaps why I felt compelled to share it, half said that the pastor's teaching on forgiveness said that abortion or termination of pregnancy is not included in God's forgiveness. That's a huge failure of the church. Two-thirds believe that church members will judge a single woman who becomes pregnant. That's 67% believe that. 67% 67% also believe that church members are more likely to gossip about a person when they hear they're pregnant than to go and to actually help them with the pregnancy. That's kind of sobering stuff to hear. 50% believe that um, churches do, are not in any way prepared to help women with unplanned pregnancies, whether married or single or anything else. Just don't think we're equipped or ready to do it. Even more telling, 54% having had an abortion or, po- or you know, terminated a pregnancy, 54% said they would not advise their friends to talk to anyone in church about the decision. I was shocked. That's over half would say, don't, don't do that. Seven in ten women who have had abortions indicate that their religious preference is Christian. This was active. They knew what they were doing when they were filling out this form. They said, yeah, we're, we're, we're believers in Jesus. As a matter of fact, to break it down a little bit, unless you think we're, we're being, um, you know, this is data, right? We're just reading the data. But it says 27% of, of um, 27% were Roman Catholic, 26% were Protestant, and 15% were non-denominational. There was a few other percentages in there that get you up to about 72% of those who've had abortions currently mark their religious preference as Christian. One in three women who have had an abortion in the past currently attend a church at least once a week. And more than half say, no one knows. No one at church knows my pain. Or no one knows about this part of my life. And as we read that and we wrestle with that as the IRL team, we start to think, this is not okay. That there would be some portion of our experience in this life that we would say is beyond God's grace, um, that there'll be something that would be said that is not safe to confess or talk about, that we would become people who would um, be judgmental or condemning instead of um, loving and assuring and gospel preaching. And, and, And I can't even imagine, honestly, how difficult this is for moms and dads and families to carry and experience. But I know it's real. I know it's real and we're all affected. As a matter of fact, when we were putting together this series, um, we've been getting questions and we did receive one that asked this exact question. How do I deal with sexual abuse and abortion in my spiritual life? So today we want to spend some time uh, confessing agreeing with what the Bible says about this. Not of our flesh and not of the world, but of Christ, of his proclamation. Because too many of us, I believe, walk around feeling condemned as if we've committed the unforgivable sin. And by the way, let's not just say it's moms and abortion, but it could be a whole bunch of stuff for men and women, young people and old people. Burdens that we believe don't merit or aren't um, allowable under the grace of Jesus Christ. We believe it's too much to ask that we might be forgiven and free. So today we want to talk about how the Bible calls us and compels us to deal with these issues that we might find freedom in Jesus, that we might find peace and healing and hope and love and restoration and reclamation. 
The first I'm going to put up here is that we are called to confess our sins and pray for one another. I want to talk about this. This is from the book of James. James is toward the end of the New Testament. And James 5, verse 16, reads like this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to talk about this just for a second. That God in his sovereignty chose to um, allow us to do this. I just share with you there are some things that we just feel like, man, I couldn't tell anybody this. And we're certainly not saying you should tell everyone. But we're, I, I've, I've come to believe that the way that we begin to get hold of our lives is by owning our story, by recognizing who we are, by not being afraid to admit the realities that we've experienced, indeed that we've survived in some cases, and let God in to bring healing. Sometimes you read... Um, confess our sins and pray, and you think, I've done that, Bill. I've done it. I've confessed. I've been, and I've said, you know, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I uh, you know, I, I've, I've failed in these ways. I've been hurt in these ways and all this. And then, you know, I prayed. But I want you to notice in the book of James, the encouragement is not that you would confess and pray alone by yourself, but that you would confess to one another that you would find someone, that you would not be in the 50% of people who said, no one in this church knows my pain. No one that I worship with understands who I really am or what's made me this way or why I hurt so much. I'm struck by the fact that in the book of James, this instruction to confess your sins to each other and pray that you might be healed comes in the middle of physical ailment. Is any of you sick? That's what the verse before says. Call an elder. Do you believe that us carrying around spiritual baggage or do you believe that us carrying around emotional baggage or do you believe that us walking around hiding our hurts and our pains creates physical burdens for us? The Bible seems to indicate that it does. You get sick. And so therefore, it encourages us to um, confess and then get this. So maybe part of it is we don't think it's safe. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of it, right? Why would we not be willing to go to the one place where the gospel is proclaimed and says, your sins are forgiven, Jesus died to forgive everything. There's no sin he won't forgive. And you come to the place and you say, I can't confess that, and it's rooted in fear. But the, the second part of that is, what is the response to look like? We're to pray for one another. God, forgive us for judgment and condemnation. When a brother or sister's hurting, we're to pray. Matter of fact, um, Relevant does a great job of training people how to receive people and, and let them wrestle with the realities they're facing without judgment. And here, the people of God are encouraged to pray for one another that they might be healed. Oh God, when someone comes to you, would you heal this brother from this? Would you heal this sister from this? Would you redeem this in their life? I thank you so much that they trusted me enough to tell me, Father, would you bring your grace and your mercy? Because we all need it. He instructs us to pray that we might be healed. Um, by the way, confessing is this idea of agreeing out loud with what is true, right? Saying it out, owning it. The second thing, is, and this is that the healing here, there's two kinds of healing in the Bible that's listed in the Bible, and one is the root for the word therapy that we have, right? Thera therapy, like therapeutic, and that's not a bad word in the Bible. Jesus did that kind of healing to people, but here in James, it has the connotation of a supernatural, God-ordained, sovereign healing he brings, and Jesus did that too. This kind of healing points back to the lordship and the authority of God. You know, David was a man who when he prayed, he would say, God, I belong to you and you know me. And in that moment when the people are gathered in the name of Christ and they're praying for one another, he sovereignly heals his people that you might be healed. I want to go to one other place, 1 John this is right behind James. If you're in James, you can flip a couple pages probably. You'll be in 1 John. 
First John's more eloquent than James in how, he's, how robust this is. And I'm going to read from verse 8 to verse 10. First John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we claim that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So this is kind of trapped in this idea that we're all sinners, that we should recognize that, that no one is above the other. And we talked a few weeks ago about how sin is just missing the mark. Man, we aimed for it. We tried for it, and we just didn't get there. Or sometimes we didn't even aim or try, and we just went completely, you know, just completely offline. But the word says that if we say we don't have sin, the truth isn't in us. Like, we have to acknowledge, confess that. And then the word is here. If we confess our sins, and here's the good news, God is faithful and God is just. If you agree with God about what the truth of, you know, God says is good and bad and what we've done, like, his character comes out in that. Who he is is awakened when his people are honest with ourselves. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. He will wipe them out, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That, that is a powerful, powerful promise from God. We are called um, to confess and pray. Confess and pray. Then the next thing, and this will be actually the, the, the last thing before we close is, so right above this in First John, it says that we're called to walk in the light, right? Look at it in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare now to you. This is the promise, right? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and we are not living by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. That comes right before he says, confess your sin, therefore, that you might be, um, be purified. This call that we have to live in the light, um, I'm convinced you know, someone said the other day after all the rain and the storms, you know, they said, man, the mushrooms are going to be popping, right? After that, man, uh, gross things grow in the dark in our own lives. When we try to hide things away, it just gets funkier and funkier in there. I'm not, I'm not telling you that someone who, like, I'm telling you someone who experienced that in my life. You hide it, you're not willing to acknowledge it, and it just gets grosser and grosser. And there's this realization that we're called to live in the light, to open that door, and to let God in. He says, walk in the light, God is in the light. God is light, and there's no darkness in him. I believe that dark, darknesses are places of shame. Darknesses are, are places of false guilt. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Then you're free in Christ. Yes, but I will carry this one sin burden with me. I will not let him have it. I will continue to bear the burden that God never intended me to bear. I hope you hear me this morning that when he knit you together in your mother's womb, it was not his intent that you would bear it. He sent his son that he would bear it for us, that the sin of this world would be bore on the cross not on our false guilt and shame. So walking in the light brings us a couple of things. And the first you hear, see here, it, it says you will have fellowship with one another then. You will have a community of people. Oh, these people know me. These people love me. These are my people. They're God's people. They're my people. You know what I'm saying, right? If there's anywhere that should be church, it should be in the church. We should be able to have fellowship together, to know and to love one another, to confess sin and to speak the gospel over it, to pray and be healed. And then it says that he will 
forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the word all there is powerful. It's the same throughout all of the Greek, but it's each and every and all, totality, everything. He will purify us by the blood of Jesus through everything we've experienced. I often tell people when talking about Christianity why it's so different, and it's because Jesus is the redeemer of broken people. The gospel says that that's what he does. He redeems his people. Other religions say you've got to be good enough, pretend you're okay, dress a certain way, act a certain way, be okay. Whitewash tombs, Jesus says, no, I redeem people fully. The question we have to ask is, do we allow him to fully redeem us? Do I let him fully redeem my story? Oh, God, that you would redeem us completely. So the question, and I hope you hear that today, that there's no sin that's unforgivable. There's not. But the question on top of your sheets does say, what's the unforgivable sin? Jesus did say there is one. So what, what is the unforgivable sin? I want you to turn back to the Gospel of Matthew where we started. It's going to be Matthew um, 12. Matthew 12, 31, 32. Jesus says this. I hear the word again. And I tell you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven of men, that's people. Every sin will be forgiven. But blaspheming against the Spirit will not. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Son, or, or, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven neither now or in the age to come. Jesus says there is, and this is why I wanted to do this today, because you might, I mean, it's a hard, heavy thing, and that wasn't just to do a hard, heavy thing. But I think that the danger that we run into, and I hope you hear me, the danger we run into is if we're not willing to agree with God, if we're, we're trying to carry our own burdens, if we're not willing to lay it down, we may very well be in danger of violating this. This came because Jesus was healing people and the religious people that day said, you can't heal people like that. As a matter of fact, that's not of God, it's of the devil. That's what they accused him of. Casting out demons by the power of Satan, that's what Jesus was accused of. And he warned the religious people, and he said, you, you can't speak against the Holy Spirit of God. We get that and we say, well, that's the Pharisees. It's not me, Bill. I don't do that. But I wonder, when we reject God's healing, when we aren't willing to acknowledge that he knows us, when we aren't willing to confess who we are in front of him and recognize that he made us and he's redeeming us, that seems like we kind of are. This isn't God's work. God don't want to restore this part of my story. God don't even want to hear this stuff. The word says that the unforgivable sin is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, um, not acknowledging that the work that God is doing in forgiving our sins is work that only he can do and that we need him to do, that we need him to do in our lives. One final thought on that. They were speaking against Jesus and he wasn't offended. He said, anyone that speaks a word against me will be forgiven. That's a momentary. But if we continue, here's the danger if we continue to reject the promise of Jesus, we continue to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, and we go to our grave wanting to bear our own sin burden, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. Um, Matthew, um, or John 3, uh, 16 says the same thing in verses 17 and 18. If you rejected him already, you stand condemned. We have to be open to him working our lives in this way. I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God would continue to work, and then I'm going to ask the IRL team to come forward, and we'll have some conversation about these uh, issues. Uh, Father God, we just give you thanks and praise for your great mercy and grace in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. We thank you for the work and the compelling of the Holy Spirit to continually draws us nearer to you, and therefore more um, to become more pure and holy and let you in. May we let you in, Father. And I can't imagine in my own heart all the things that are stirred right now in a room with all of my friends that you stirred so many things in our hearts. I pray that your spirit would sovereignly be working in those areas. 
that we would experience you as a God who loves us and died to forgive us and is willing to hear everything of us, everything, all of us, Father God, that you might fully redeem us. Um, would you help us to do that work? Would you help us to have the courage? Would you help us to have discernment? Would you show us those relationships? Would you show us those places where we can truly become alive in Christ? Where we can stop trying to carry our own sin burden? May you do that work, Father. And I just give you thanks and praise for the grace of your gospel and for the truth that you brought to us. Um, may we have the courage to walk that out, live in the light, and, uh, and believe your good promises. Um, for, the, for the time that's coming now, would you be sovereign over it? And may you, uh, may you be honored in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a few guests. If you want to come up for the IRL panel today, that would be great. Huh? Assume the hot seat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, isn't it scary? Look how scary they all are. <laughs> right on. So we'll do a quick introduction so everyone knows whoever everyone is up here. And by the way, happy Mother's Day to all of you, everyone here. Um, so this is Linda Hamsh on the end. Um, uh, been in Family Bible for a long, long time. And uh, um, spouse to uh, Steve and mother of four. And, uh, you know, awesome. Um, Megan Ziegler. Um, been in Family Bible for a while. And, um, huh? A while. Yeah, for real. Like, that's what happens. You stick around for a while and you're here for a while. That's what happens. And... Um, uh, married and three children as well. Um, I guess uh, homemaker is that fair? I mean, <laughs> Linda does everything. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, Megan. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner at the OBGYN practice. Right on. So kind of in this in this area, we've been talking about a little bit, and um, then Jen Bryant, uh, also a spouse and mom and awesome person who've been here a long, long time and we all love. And, um, and what, you want to tell me what you... I'm a nurse at a doctor's office and then working on my, um, bat, or my master's to be a nurse practitioner. Right on. And so, and I've told you this each week, um, and God bless you guys for coming up here. There's no gotcha questions. We don't do that. Um, but we do want live dialogue. So I know it's a bit more difficult to kind of just go with it. But that's, that's our goal, um, to start a conversation up here that engages you all in the same conversation. Um, so I want to kind of start with this. I know we talked about some very specific issues today, but I want to talk about like a broader issue. Why do you think it, we find it so difficult to acknowledge our sin, especially in church or once we're a believer? Why do you think that's so difficult to do? <laughs> well, I'll start us off. I think the big thing is we all think that our sin is the worst thing that mm. anybody's ever done and nobody else has sinned like I have. Mm. So we find it difficult to share that with people for fear of judgment. Um, and I think it's because we really don't feel like when we confess our sin that we're truly forgiven. Mm. Okay. Anyone else? Why is it hard? You don't have to answer that. I think what Linda said was good. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else, though. Nothing to add. That's okay. I would say that um, I think when you're the one that's trying to deal with that unforgivable full sin, that's very true what Linda said. But as far as the, the church body, I think sometimes we struggle holding truths and still showing grace to others. And so I think that does set up an environment that feels very judgmental and mm -hmm. um, difficult to share with mm -hmm. others. I guess we'd be like, like that. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are some um, struggles to, that we have? How do I say this? What are some struggles we have with when people do come and and share struggles with us like is is there dangers in that is there things that are make it hard I'm kind of begging a question but i heard kind of in your answer like concern that if i don't handle this rightly i'm going to come off the judgmental or is there anything that's created that on that side of things when people come to us with hard things i i feel like um 
we don't know what grace is for ourselves. You mm. know, we're willing to give it to other people. Um, but then for ourselves, we don't want to forgive ourselves. Mm. And so, not necessarily when somebody would come and tell you, you wouldn't give them grace and love and mm. a hug or whatever um, and walk with them through that struggle. But then to um, forgive yourself, if that was you, to forgive yourself, I think that's what we don't do. And so I looked up what the definition of grace was, because <laughs> that's what was on my mind right on. Um, when you were talking. Yeah. And um, it says it's the free and unmerited favor mm. of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and mm. the bestowal of blessings. So I think we... Um, we forget that it's free, that that's what God has for us. He mm. wants us, we're all sinners, we've all did something mm -hmm. uh, or thing, many things, um, but then we don't want to forgive ourselves. Mm. We forget that, um, that this is a gift. Um, and so, um, I don't know what I want to say. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> So we continue to try to bear that, or yeah, or don't want to don't want to let, let that go. go. Right? We don't let yeah. It go. And yeah. then it consumes us yeah. instead of um, putting it down at the cross, which is what God asked us to do. Right. By the way, interesting analogy there, but um, the, the, it's funny because we the Bible does say we have a cross to bear, but the cross that we bear is not our sin, which is so kind of counterintuitive. But you know, you have to lay something down to pick something up, right, at the cross. Um, Okay, um, have you seen confessing sin bring healing to someone uh, in your life? And if so, how? Have you ever seen this work where someone comes and confesses and they find healing because of the confession? You don't have to get into details, but, and if so, how did you see that work? Well, I'll speak. Um, I think when Steve and I confessed what we were walking through with our son, we found a church family that was very, very supportive yeah. um, and has continued to be so. It would have been real easy to hide that in a closet mm. and not expose it, but we knew we couldn't do it alone. So it was only by um, exposing that that God had the victory in it. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important that we do confess our sins even to one another, because if not, Satan has the victory, not God. Mm. And uh, he gets way too much victory in this life. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I also think um, sometimes when we share what we've struggled with, then others are like, I struggle with the exact same mm -hmm. thing. And then you find out that you're not alone mm -hmm. um, for whatever it is. I know for us, um, Brooke was an unplanned pregnancy. She was mm -hmm. not a mistake. Yeah. Um, but now I look at her and I think, wow, God, what a blessing you are. How you took an 18-year-old girl who was young and not married and turned it into um, beauty yeah. and honor yeah. and grace. <laughs> Praise God. I would say um, looking at patients who have struggled um, just in relationship to abortion mm -hmm. um, and hiding that, um, mm. oftentimes that doesn't even come out to the provider until... Um, maybe they have depression that can't be controlled and you dig a little deeper and find that there's something there that they haven't healed from. So I've seen that in um, a, like a patient relationship where that was finally confessed and it started the road to um, healing and, and more wellness. Right on. But a long road to get there, even in a more, Absolutely. you know, what do you call it, secular or, or non-religious mm -hmm. environment. Yeah, okay. Um, what are the risks of confessing sin? What are the dangers in that? Like, there's a reason we don't do it well or often or immediately. So what do you think the dangers are? Rejection. Mm -hmm. That somebody would uh, look at us or talk about us or uh, make us feel less. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Some dangers? I just think that overall um, fear of judgment, um, fear of well, they probably won't be my friend anymore. Uh, they'll think less of me. Um, it'll be something that I'll always carry when I look at that person. 
Mm. Um, having been in a position at one time where I counseled a young girl who decided to have an abortion, mm -hmm. I always feel like when we spoke after that, that was the wall between us mm -hmm. because she knew I knew and we had prayed about it and she had made that decision anyway. So I think there, um, there's that fear of mm -hmm. if I expose this to you, then that, that relationship's always changed. It can be changed for much better, but mm -hmm. there is that risk. Yeah, so it, it permanently defines, or it can def define, if not, if not handled well or not, how do you, how do you not do that? Do you, any ideas how you, I know we don't have all the answers. <laughs> just, I think uh, the only thing you can do is keep loving that person, regardless of mm -hmm. what decisions they've made or right uh, things they've gone through. Um, and eventually, God's grace will shine through. Right on. On the flip side, what are the dangers of not confessing sin? Just in a practical way, like what is a real risk? No idea. No, I don't know. I don't remember where we read it, but one time I came across this really cool story, and I'll probably blow it here, and Steve will have to bail me out, but um, about um, this person is traveling mm. up a mountain, and they have this little cart, and they go along, and every time something happens on the road up this mountain, they put another stone in this cart. And as they try and try to get further and further up the mountain, they said, you know, God, I can't do this. This is too heavy. He said, those were never your rocks to carry. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of the time we want to carry all our own rocks. Mm -hmm. And God's saying, I already paid for all that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to carry your rocks. You just have to walk the path. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm just trying to think a little bit through it. Like, carrying burdens on ours um, also... It, it, there's such great freedom in having someone that knows you, like, that you surrender that. You don't recognize that you do, but you give that up, being known. Like, in other words, we talked about, I think you said that um, secrecy is a tool of the devil. You know, hiding that secret is like the devil loves that because he gets you all alone and he just works on you. But um, that isolation is a side effect of not, of not being willing to risk confessing sin as well. I think maybe. I don't know. I mean... I just know that, like, that, that it seems like that's kind of the opposite side of what we're talking about with, like, um, uh, guilt and shame is that uh, the fear of being judged is that we wouldn't uh, ever have that. Like you kind of s said, um, Jen, that someone would say, I have that same burden. You would never know that if you don't risk it. And so you could believe that you were, like, the only one, all things we've been saying. Um, I, the last point I made was to talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and and um, how do we recognize, and this is a hard question, as if, <laughs> but this is a hard question, how do we recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our life? Like, I mean, really practically, like, say there's something you're struggling with, or you know someone, like, how do you recognize this is, a, that this is the Holy Spirit's work and not uh, something else? I know for me, I did not want to be up here today. Mm -hmm. Two people asked me, and I told them no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then on my way here this morning, I knew I was supposed to be up here, and I still said no. <laughs> right. And then I was like, okay, God, I know um, sometimes you ask us to do things that we don't like to do, and I feel like you're asking me to mm. um, stand for you, and so... Um, here I am. So persistence is one of the keys yeah. of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. He's unrelenting in his desire. Yeah, okay. Anyone else? How can we tell it's the Spirit of God? Well, I think you started off this morning by speaking about truth. And, um, you know, uh, for those gals that have done the Bible study with us, you know, the first piece of armor we're supposed to put on is the belt of truth. And if it doesn't filter through that truth, it's not of God. But if it does, it's the Holy Spirit and God working in your life. And I think, too, when we think of this idea mm -hmm. of unconfessed sin, how it must grieve God's heart when he says, you know, I gave my son mm -hmm. so that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And we go, yeah, God, but this. 
and we keep taking that back. And we listen to that chatter at night. You know, the, in the darkness of night, Satan comes and he goes, yeah, but you're not good mm. enough. You're not worthy. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. And we listen to all that chatter from Satan. Mm. And we don't listen to the Spirit of God. Mm. Okay. Uh, one last question, and then we'll have Q&A. So guys, and not, not to be sexist here, but guys are notoriously bad at, at being sensitive <laughs> and stuff. I mean, so speak this morning. I did not know we were going to have a panel of all women. Praise God, we have a panel of all women. Um, but speak into the person's heart today, whether it's a man or a woman, who still, despite all the things we've said from the Scripture, believing that, but that doesn't, but this is too much. Can you offer any words of encouragement to those, those men and women here today who still think that that's not it, not enough? Like, what would you encourage them to do? I would say um, read the Bible and look for those answers um, where, you know, it talks about it, just what you said this morning, there is no unforgivable sin mm. except blasphemy. And so it doesn't matter what you did, what decisions you made at whatever moment in your life, um, God sees you, God, God forgives you, and mm. he, he can turn that into something beautiful um, where you can share and, or don't share, but mm. free yourself um, from that uh, feeling or those burdens of guilt. Okay. Anything else? Words to their hearts? Well, I just say, you know, God doesn't intend for you to carry that burden. And the neat thing about it is if you can find that Christian brother or sister that you're comfortable sharing it with, it also gives you accountability to move forward mm -hmm. um, in that. And, uh, you know, in Psalm, 150, uh, Psalm 55, he says, just cast your cares on the mm -hmm. Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And at the end of that um, psalm, it says, but as for me, I trust in you, God. You know, um, in this life, we only have one person we can totally trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's God, and he gave his son. And the blood that he shed on that cross is good for every time I gossip, mm -hmm. every time I lie, Every time I do something that is just appalling to myself and for those things that I, I don't think he can bear, I think that blood, we have to look at it, that God gave it and it was enough. Okay. Megan? The only thing that really comes to mind, and I'm sure I won't articulate this well so you can fix it when I don't, no. but... <laughs> is essentially um, that most of us, our growth has stemmed from some type of brokenness. Um, that the gospel has given us hope um, and uh, provided us salvation for. So I think that um, no matter what anybody's dealing with, it's, it's the same story, no matter what that sin is. So. Right on. Greatest potential for growth is in those areas that were most broken. Well, um, I know this is even, this is good. Thank you guys. By the way, courageous coming up here. I mean it. And uh, um, we, we appreciate that. Um, any questions from the crowd today? The crowd. Yes, sir. Sometimes we get a function when it takes a while to heal. Uh, do you think it takes a while Let's just say we confess our sin and we're forgiven. Do you think it takes a while all the way to the rest of that? What do you guys think? <laughs> in other words, how... Uh, well, you're in the healing art. You're in the healing art, so like, I mean, how... Uh, what, I mean, not to put it on Linda either, but... <laughs> put it on the nurses! No, okay. Um... Is, should you expect immediate 
healing or, I mean, it doesn't take some time. I think we have immediate forgiveness if um, we're a believer. However, I think that the healing process in the line of, of how we process our thought regarding the, the topic mm. and how we view ourselves um, and how we move on from that is a very ongoing process. And from women that I've cared with as far as abortion, I think sometimes it's a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I often, I, I can, I feel it as well. I often say to people who I talk to and love dearly that God had a tendency to circle the block. You know, and that's maybe a bad analogy. And I've probably said it in sermons before even. But um, this idea that you think you're over that, and then Jesus and his great love and mercy brings you right back in front of that old house where all those old things live, and you realize it shouldn't hurt there. And you're like, why is it still hurt there? And God's like, because you're not fully healed yet. And, and I, 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 you know, some people might see that and say, oh, that's um, punitive, like, like it's torture or whatever. But I think it's his great unrelenting love that he's not going to let us off with like a half gospel that there's parts that we can't have healed, but he's going to continue to bring us back around like a loving father would and says, we're going to walk through this until you're fully redeemed, um, which is why it can take a lifetime, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but not see that as torture, but as a blessing that he continues to do that. So, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Thank you for the comment. Just being together is important. And the slowness of that, maybe it's not a big momentary thing, uh, but a long, enduring relationship that restores are that teach us something we need to know. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Good question. Do I want to take it? Yeah. Um, one thing that I typically do when I'm talking to a patient that's considering abortion um, is try to get an idea of where they're at in their mindset um, and have some level of empathy as well. That must be really difficult. I understand you're going through it, but I'm really worried about you because, um, because one thing I see through my patients is um, our, I don't want to say do's and don'ts, but our kind of guidelines that are given to us by Christ are really protective of us. You know, that, um, you know, we shouldn't have abortions, we shouldn't do certain things. Um, and I don't want to imply that it's a rule book, but that guidance is really protective of um, our well-being in general. Um, and so I think very simply something I do is just provide a little bit of empathy and open up a conversation that seems open without judgment so somebody has the opportunity to share. Um, and on the flip side, if I'm seeing somebody who has had an abortion, um, many women who've had abortions have had multiple abortions. So that has already been done, but there's a future ahead. And so having that um, conversation that's um, loving despite what, el what else has happened, and providing some light, I think, is what gives me some hope for what happens later on. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, <clears throat> I love, someone said it, I think, um, maybe it was Gwen, that, or, and Linda, I think, said the same thing, I'm just going to blame everybody, <laughs> but that said, um, persistence, like, it's not just God's persistence, but it's our persistent love toward other people, that we won't quit loving them, even if they don't feel lovable any longer, and um, I know, like, so much of um, my own story has been shaped by this idea of, of the value and the uh, of life, and uh, to answer Lance's question, how do we um, hold up a perfect standard and yet celebrate the gospel, and I think that that's Jesus on the cross, like I think that, not to get, you know, cliche, but he is perfection, he did not sin, and I'm reminded of the story of Moses in the desert, you know, I said, you know, put the serpent on the stake, a stick, and hold him in the air, and anyone who looks at him will not die when they're bitten, and that's the idea that the standard that we hold up, the gold standard is Christ, and therefore when all of us fix our eyes on Jesus, no matter what our sin has been, if we recognize in him our Savior, um, we are in the same stinking boat. And that, that should then allow us to proclaim the gospel um, freely while proclaiming perfection that's demanded. That's not a, I hope that makes sense, that's not a cop-out like, well, you can sin all you want because Jesus died for your sins, but when you look to that cross, I don't want to sin when I look at that cross. I, I want to please God, and yet I know I continue to sin. And so it's, it's recognizing perfection in Jesus and then also confessing and recognizing my own brokenness and failure, which then I can, I can offer to other people. I can't get that standard. Um, 
because the danger is otherwise we become like self-righteous people. We are the standard, and that's super dangerous because we have all fallen short for sure. So any other questions? All right. Well, we will pray. Um, I do want to commend these women for their bravery and um, for being moms, <laughs> which is brave in itself. Um, thanking the Lord for the gift of life, remembering brothers and sisters here today who have lost children, who don't have children. I pray that we're a community of faith that believes the best, um, that believes the gospel for each other. I really do. I, be- I hope that we are a place where we can clearly say that um, the gospel of Jesus forgives all sin and that our opportunity is to be honest with each other and with the Lord about who we are so that he might redeem us fully. So that's my prayer for us today. Would you pray with me as we close? Uh, Father God, we thank you so much. I do thank you so much um, for the women who've come up today to share with us. Um, I thank you for the folks who helped to plan this and, and just the courage and conviction that we've all felt to come and c- continue to um, pursue you Uh, maybe in spite of our fear or or through our fear that we could acknowledge who you are. Father, I do pray so much that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to each person who's here today. Um, We all come out of some background. We all sin. We acknowledge that. And that's just because we're honest. It's not because we're self-defeating. We're just honest, Father. We have fallen short, and and we claim the gospel over our lives, all of our lives, Father, that uh, we could be fully healed. Right now, Father, for the brother or sister, my own heart, uh, the the areas that I say yes, but not this, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work there, that that area that we're not willing to let go of, that we think it's our burden to bear forever, that we would we would um, surrender it to you at the foot of the cross. We really believe that you will fully restore us, and not just in eternity, but in this life, that your promise says that we'll have forgiveness not just forever, but now, that we would experience that forgiveness right now, Father. And so I pray that you would do that work in our lives, and our hearts, that we could become more as you've intended us to be. Um, and as we've heard, that we would go and sin no more, that we would believe the good news and live in the good news and live in the light. May you be glorified. Your word is so powerful, Father. And it's such a gift to us. Um, we thank you for it. We pray that we won't neglect you or your word or prayer, that we would come to know you more fully. May you be glorified as we continue to seek you, love each other well, and um, just be honest. In Jesus' name, amen.